Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Generation BSC, as you may know, is a episodic revisiting of the Babysitter's Club book series that we all know and love from our childhood. But we're currently taking a small hiatus from the books to do a mini-series to talk about each of the episodes in the first season of the Netflix series that dropped earlier this summer. And we are up to episode seven. Is that right, Lauren? That is right. Okay, yes. and it is Boy Crazy Stacy, which is actually book eight, so it's a little bit shifted from our book series, but Lauren, why don't you give everyone a reminder of what this episode was about? You got it. So, Kate, you are absolutely right. This is still shifted. So as a reminder, um, last episode, we skipped over a book uh, because they're going to bring that as our next episode. So we've, we're still that in that shift. Um, but uh, this week's episode is, I think, to date, the closest we have come to recreating the book wholesale. Um, Definitely. Like the streamlined version. Uh, but, it, but the first time there ha- wasn't a huge twist on anything. There was a minor twist, which we'll get to. But um, for those of you who don't remember, uh, so you're getting a book review as well, Stacy and Marianne are heading to Sea City with the Pikes. Um, they are there for approximately two seconds after um, they resolve to be the best babysitters ever. They see promptly sees uh, Baywatch slow mo <laughs> um, lifeguard running down the beach. Which uh, side note, everyone in sweaters um, the whole time was hilarious for a beach episode. Right. Um, well, it's but spring break the, the, apparently. Like yeah, um, that's like March usually. April. That makes sense. Like yeah, let's yeah. go to the beach for sure. I just loved that. Like. It was the most wholesome ba- version of a Baywatch run in where he's like these giant baggy trousers yep. and like this huge ba- bulky sweatshirt. It was very funny, but he slow-mo ran. And from there, Stacy was hooked. Um, she did nothing but follow him around the whole time and left poor Mary Ann to um, pick up the slack. Luckily, Mary Ann meets some cute boys of her own, Alex and Toby, and they are um, – more fun and entertaining um and finally get stacy to realize that she is in way over her head with this older boy when they meet her his really unnecessarily mean girlfriend oh yeah i mean she is a if she's a 17 year old girl like this girl is 12 it also just i guess to touch on that like it feels and i don't know if there's more to this i just realized it as you were saying it but like we've got two now high school age girl female teenage girl characters that are That's true very they're written like caricatures of mean girls from like i think we were saying that they were like the you know Lindsay lohan or like um like like not not mean girls in the movies but like like the cartoonish villains of like disney channel tv shows like on you know hannah montana yes, yes. or um you know sweet life of zach and cody that sort of thing like the the two like older girls that we've come across now have both been terrible and like cartoonish villain type characters as compared to like literally everyone else who is a much more like normal you know quote unquote normal like fully formed not just evil person and it's it's sort of weird that the only people like that are like the two like 17 year old girls that's interesting i wonder i mean this is we are getting off on a tandem like immediately (laughs) and i love it let's do it um because that's funny i hadn't really thought about that i just really was like so this girl is in two seconds of the episode she's the girlfriend of the 17 year old um cute lifeguard that scott is it scott yeah it's such a non non non-entity that i wasn't even sure of his name 
he looked like a Noah Centrino knockoff, by the way. But she so hard goes after Stacy. Oh, is that one of those little girls who falls in love with you at the beach? And follows you around. Yeah. And for a 17-year-old girl to say that to a 12- or 13-year-old at most, like, that just seems so disproportionate. Like, it would have made sense if she was maybe, like, saying a girl who seemed like an actual viable romantic right. threat. That would be a more... um I mean, it'd still be an extreme version of it, but it would be more understandable. But, like, it is clearly – this guy is not interested in Stacy. She is a ch- is a literal child. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you snarking at the literal child like that? But as you say it, so you're talking about that, and then they're both the, um, the over-the-top ones. I wonder if that's very intentional because to 12- and 13-year-olds – what is the most intimidating thing in the world? Hmm, 16, that's a good 17 point. year olds. Yeah. Like there that is their total aspirational figure. That's the people they're afraid of. I like I vividly remember um getting on the bus with the older kids accidentally and just being like in full awe and seeing them as full grown adults and like mm-hmm. um it, just completely untouchable. So maybe it was done to sort of play on some of that heightened that we're just sort of past and we really don't remember from being 12 that maybe the worst thing in the world was to be 17 <laughs> or <laughs> to be um, in in a fight with a 17-year-old. Uh, but that's fascinating. That's really interesting. I had not thought about that. I literally um, thought about it as you were describing her because I, <laughs> I didn't put that together until you were talking. So thank you for sparking that tangent in my brain. <laughs> and that's exactly why we started this podcast, for those moments. Exactly. So, wow, Stacy may have gotten uh, negged ridiculously hard by this overly mean girl. However, she recovered very quickly um, when the adorable uh, Toby from Canada gave her her first kiss and a, and a cute little book with an inside joke about mollusks. Um, I actually, side note, thought thought he was real cute. Um, I thought that they did a nice job with that, of making him look age-appropriate but mm-hmm. also adorable. And... The experience with Marianne and Toby and Alex helps Stacy realize that she needs to get over herself and be a better friend to Marianne. So she makes a very sincere apology mm-hmm. um, and a gesture of goodwill, which we'll leave for the fashion moment. Um, and uh, one of the things that I loved so, so much about how they, they handle the plot this time is it really allowed... Um, Stacy to be taken down a peg in Marianne's eyes, mm-hmm. and not I don't I, that sounds negative. I just mean it. She came off her pedestal, right? Um, Marianne had had this really like rarefied, deified version of Stacy that was just so unattainable in her head, and and it was making her neurotic around her. Mm-hmm. And I like that instead of trying to make Marianne feel sophisticated, because I think that would have backfired and would have like just felt a, a, a wrong note. Um, I love the fact that instead of trying to make Mary Ann more, um, more mature, more adult, or more what what they, they keep calling sophisticated for Stacy, mm-hmm. which is a whole other conversation we'll get into here. Um, but instead of trying to bring her to Stacy's level, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, they brought Stacy to hers, and I, I I thought that that was a really neat way to go to um, make her feel more real and less. Uh, scary in a way to Marianne. Well, and I think that's an interesting point because in the book version of this story, you know, we have Marianne 
having her own sort of love interest in Alex, which is obviously not the mm-hmm. case here because she, Alex is gay and Alex gives her advice about Logan, you know, that she sort of is talking about that when, when Marianne is telling, you know, Alex and Toby about what's going on with Stacey, Alex asks, you know, sort of just as like a friend asks Marianne, like, well, what about you? What's going on? And she tells him about Logan and how she's never really, she doesn't really talk to him and she doesn't really know, but she feels like her knees feel like jello whenever she's around him. And he's like, Hey, why don't you talk to him? Cause if you don't, you're never going to know if maybe his legs feel like jello around you and i think that it's interesting you know sort of jumping off from what you just said where instead of marianne also finding you know an age-appropriate love interest the way that stacy does by the end of the book they they sort of neither of them have like real romantic connections obviously there is the connection between um stacy and toby but because it's not you know they don't spend a significant amount of time together and it's not like this real emotional connection i think it, it really does an interesting thing in that it does sort of like you said bring stacy down to marianne's level as opposed to trying to make marianne into something more like stacy and i i really love that because i i i did love that at the end at the end of the episode where you know marianne's talking about how she was you exactly. know so yep. nervous about going with stacy and you know and at the beginning of the episode i'm like no i'm like jumping all around in the episode but at the beginning of the episode you know stacy refers to marianne as one of her best friends and marianne is like taken aback that this like amazing girl that you know that she loves and has on this pedestal would consider her to be one of her best friends and you know by the end of the episode she's sort of like i thought you were this sophisticated cool mature girl and i and i'm like this huge dork that is you know awkward and uncomfortable and doesn't really know what to say and i realized like you're just like me and we're both big dorks together and like it it's just such a refreshing thing where you know you get to the the you know nerdy girl gets to stay the nerdy girl and realize like this girl that she thought was so amazing is amazing but amazing as a real person who's just like her and i i love that they have that you know connection by the end and we'll see and it's the same thing in the book they have sort of a special you know, inside connection because they've had this week together at the beach with the Pikes that obviously none of the other girls can have. And it, it gives them these sort of a, a different kind of connection, which I, again, we talked, I think last week about, or two weeks ago about, you know, when we love, we love how Don and Christy spend some time together and have their own sort of special connection. It's mm-hmm. and how fun it is when we get these pair ups that are maybe not the expected ones. I think Marianne and Stacy is like a close second for me behind Christy and Don and that type of team up, if you will. <laughs> oh, I fully agree. In fact, when I was watching this, I couldn't help but remember that um, when I did the fanfic search, mm-hmm. what came up was a lot of um, Marianne and Stacy uh, at the seaside discovering feelings for each other. And I was uh, this, <laughs> I did not get that from the book at all, mm-hmm. but there were a couple of moments in this one where I was like, okay, I can see where, I can see where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. That is not like so far out of left field. Um, the other thing that I thought was really refreshing about how they handled it is not only um, did it feel right for the characters of, of Marianne and Stacy it was really refreshing on just a pure show level um, mm-hmm. because it feels so often that shows are trying to um, – would be trying to make Marianne turn into a more sophisticated character. Mm-hmm. And it should, would be about giving her a makeover and getting her into a bikini and making her more um, – letting her realize that, okay, maybe not that boy, but um, – 
the other boy she should be paying attention to or whatever it is, trying to make them more grown up. Um, and I love that. That's one of my favorite things we've talked a number of times about in, in the books um, that they really the spirit of which they kept so beautifully in the show is that they allow these girls to be mature and thoughtful and, um, you know, maybe sometimes unrealistically so precocious. Um, and they are still allowed to be kids. Mm -hmm. They're not sexualized in any way. They're not, um, you know, concerned with, uh, money or designer clothes. Like the clothes even that we, we talk about are super cool, but it, they look attainable. Like, I mean, uh, not that I could pull off, but, you know, <laughs> I can absolutely see a cool 13-year-old, like, putting together one of Claudia's outfits mm -hmm. and finding that stuff at thrift stores. It, it just feels refreshingly normal, I guess, is is the best way to describe it, and not so, mo so much of that heightened um, drama that some – which, don't get me wrong, I, Lord knows I love those. Mm -hmm. um, how many hours have we wasted watching the OC together? Not wasted. Never wasted. Uh, you you can never say any time was wasted when it comes to the OC. Fair. No time with Mr. Seth Cohen is ever wasted. Um, and I, I love that this isn't trying to be that um, because I, I can see in, a, in my nightmare a version of that net pitch to Netflix. So mm -hmm. it's the Babysitter's Club, but we age them up a little bit so we can bring in some boys and we can bring in a little bit more drama and, we, you know, we can um, compete with some of that Riverdale. Um, I, I love that that's – Riverdale gets to be its own thing and this gets to be its own mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that the, the show version of the Babysitter's Club has – stayed very, very close to what we all grew up knowing and loving. And I think as we've talked about throughout our conversations here, you know, the people that made this show are people like mm -hmm. us. They're, they're they're part of Generation BSC too. And like they hold it in the same esteem that we do. And so they wanted to do it right, <laughs> which is why I think everyone has appreciated what they've done. You know, they, they, they haven't tried to turn it into something else. Along those same lines, before we move too far off of the whole um, idea of how they were staying true to the characters, um, I love that as much as they call Stacy sophisticated, we can see so clearly that she is just a kid. Like, the mm -hmm. way she is mooning over Scott at the beach, the way that, like, like clearly he's calling her cutie because he has no idea what her name is. Right. And uh, that's so obvious to everyone but her. And I love that... Um, uh, that I'm not sure that I I re think that kids watching the show would be um, quite as attuned to that. They might not see her as quite as uh, dorky as we do. Like, I'm sure, obviously they do, since Marianne gets that line at the end. But she still seems, you know, a little cool for liking that older boy. But from a, from a grown person perspective, you're like, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes it's you It's very, seem, very clear. It makes you... It makes you seem like younger rather than older. Whereas I think maybe if I'm watching this at 12, the sheer fact that she had a crush on an older boy would have made her seem more sophisticated to me. Um, so I, that's one of the really fun things about watching the show through adult eyes and having those experiences too. Because yeah, she this is we've brought it up a couple of times, especially when it comes to boys. She is not cool and calm and collected and sophisticated. Like she's she's a spaz around mm -hmm. Sam. Um, She's, you know, flicking her hair in um, the most obvious fashion. It was so cute in this episode. When she's sitting in front of him on the beach with that hair flick. Oh, mm -hmm. I just, I keep going back to that one image and, and like just the most pure innocent. I, I just loved it. 
thought it was so cute. Yeah. Well, and I also love, because we're watching this as a show, and rather than, you know, reading it through the narration of the other characters, all of whom think of Stacey as this sophisticated, mature girl, we get to actually see really that true. she's not. Whereas in the books, I think that, you know, even us reading as kids, and we've talked about it, um, you know, through talking about these books, that in our minds, Stacey was always a sophisticated one. And because we didn't get to sort of see the third person perspective, or I guess the sort of omniscient perspective that you do through just sort of observing in a TV show, I guess it's not it's not th- omniscient because we're not inside their heads. Whatever. We don't – reading the books, we are only getting, you know, a first person narration from whoever's book it is. Mm-hmm. On the show, we get we do get that narration, but we also get to see an objective third-party view of what's going on at the same time, and I think that that really helps yes. sort of drive home that you know, these characters think of themselves in certain ways and they describe each other in certain ways, but they're not necessarily all of the things or exactly those things. They're those things to a certain degree and more. And obviously knowing that each of these characters perceives them in that way is, you know, helps inform the overall story. But I feel like it's really been great to get that outside perspective of like, no, they are 12 and 13 year old girls. They're, you know, Stacy is sophisticated, but she's sophisticated for a 12 and 13 year old girl not sophisticated, exactly. you know, for the world. <laughs> and so it, I think that's been really fun. Um, I do appreciate talking about how old these kids are, that um, Scott actually looks like a 17-year-old and not like a 40-year-old man, yes. like on the cover of this book. That was very refreshing. Yes. <laughs> I did appreciate that he's an actual, like, teenage-looking kid as opposed to that older gentleman <laughs> on the cover. And you can see that's I guess that's the other thing is like looking at the cover of that book is like there is no way that Stacy would find that guy to be a, a hunk that she falls in LUV love with. Like Scott looks like someone that a 12 or 13 year old girl would find super cute and th- hope and think that she has a chance with. I mean, obviously not in reality having that, but he seems attainable for a 12 or 13 year old girl in like a sort of wholesome, yep. like you said, he looks like Noah Centineo or however you pronounce his name. Like he looks just like a, a cute, a cute, like hunky teenager. And, and that's, it, it feels age appropriate that she would have a crush on him. And I appreciated that they didn't, again, they didn't try to age anyone up. They didn't try to like overly sexify him to make it seem like, oh, of course Stacy's going to have a crush on this guy. He's just, you know, a cute older guy and it works. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I called him Noah Centrino because I had no idea. I just went with something. I figured you'd get the point. Um, close enough. I you know didn't what? Let's even call notice. that's that's let's vote that that's what we called Scott Noah Centrino. Noah Centrino, he's like the knockoff. I like it. I like it. <laughs> so we mentioned at the top of the, the podcast that because this episode is so closely um, hewn to the book, uh, there isn't really that has been uh, a lot that has been updated or modernized the way that we have really been able to dig into in the last couple of episodes. Um, the only real difference in, in this one, the only like twist to the plot, um, if you will, and it is barely that, um, is what Kate mentioned earlier. So that uh, the the character of Alex, who uh, in the book was initially a love interest for Marianne, um, now 
opens the conversation by saying that he uh, had a crush on a boy. So he was very clearly, I, I read it, the situation as he was very clearly as identifying, I'm, I'm not interested in you. Beyond that, he didn't really clarify whether that was gay, bi, pan, gender nonconforming, whatever. Fill in, fill in um, your, your scenario here. Um, but all we know is that he had a crush on a boy and it seems to indicate and was trying to give Marianne advice on her boy situation. And once again, it, it, there is very little discussion of it. Actually, not even very little. There is zero discussion of it. It is just um, taken as norm, uh, even less so or even more so than some of the other situations that ironically enough, Marianne has found herself in. Um, but I I think that that has less to do with them making a statement and more to do with the reality of how it is for kids that age now that um, a lot of the kids that I have worked with are way less concerned with labels and with, um, you know, what's expected. And it would talk very matter of factly about the boy they like versus the girl they like versus, you know, whatever. Um, so I, I think that that speaks to something that is, I hope I'm hopeful, um, pretty common with middle schoolers nowadays. What do you think? Yeah, no, I really love that. And I guess I should apologize for automatically calling him gay when I brought him up earlier, because as you pointed out, he, we don't, we don't know how he identifies. And I think that is sort of goes exactly to what you're talking about, because, you know, when I was in high school and even, you know, people of our generation, it's not, you know, you still have to sort of put that label on yourself or people expect that they need to put that label on themselves for other people to, you know, put them in whatever box to help them help other people, you know, know how to categorize them versus other mm -hmm. people, which is obviously it sucks that that's the case and that, you know, people that maybe are not in the, the, what is expected or, you know, the, the default assumption box, you have to declare yourself as not being in that. Whereas, as you pointed out, kids in this generation, that you know, the age that the babysitters club girls are, um, they're much more just sort of like everyone is who they are and, you know, you don't really have to declare anything. And it's really, really refreshing that things are moving in that direction and hopefully they continue in that way. And, um, you know, in the future, you know, it, being straight, you're going to have to maybe, maybe again, you don't have to declare it, but it, it's not going to be the default setting that everyone sort of expects unless you hear otherwise. And I, I appreciate that that was sort of what they did on the show is like, it, Alex just, you know, brings up this anecdote about himself and the boy that he had a crush on at theater camp that got awkward <laughs> after he was cast as his, his dad in the Fantastics. So, which is so that which is the most theater kid camp story ever. I just love that detail of it. Yep. Like, yes, I have met, I have, I have known that boy. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have been like. Um, had a crush on someone in a cast who was an inappropriate, like, family member, and we would laugh and giggle about that. Oh, God, it's so funny. Um, yeah, I, I think you're totally right. And I, it's, it's one of those things that I've been thinking a lot about. One of the things that I was really, um, I thought was small. I mean, I, I mean, maybe we're making mountains out of molehills, but there really just was not representation like this when we were younger. So the fact that it's yeah. here is, is huge. And the fact that he told Mary Ann with no fear that it was going to, she was going to have a negative reaction with no expectation that it was going to need to be a conversation. It was just so matter of fact, it was so, he was so trusting that she was going to be absolutely fine with it. And 
that to me, um, and, and it could be because he identified her as, you know, as a person of color, that she's another marginalized group that is more sensitive to those things. But, you know, that's not necessarily true. And who knows what a 12-year-old is having that, like, cognitive uh, mm-hmm. reasoning happening. Um, I think the more likely scenario is he just felt so safe and secure in being who he was that it wasn't a consideration to say anything. And that is... It may be no big deal, but for me is really, really powerful to see. Mm-hmm. So I just, it was something that really, it may not have been as, as big as the trans episode. It may not have been, um, you know, as, as deep as, as getting into Japanese internment camps, but it was something that especially as someone who has struggled her, with her sexuality, most of her adult life was really special. So, mm-hmm. um, wow. Didn't mean to take us down quite that emotional of a path. <laughs> um, but I think we've mostly covered the A plot line. There isn't too, too much yeah. left to say about Sea City other than, well, we'll have some stray observations about the Pikes at the end of the episode. But I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about um, what's going on with the rest of the club because um, there is, I mean, minor appearances by everyone but Claudia. Mm-hmm. So Claudia was such a focus of last uh, week's episode. In fact, I thought it was done pretty well. I didn't really notice that she, we didn't really get any of what, she goes off to Vermont and we didn't really see anything of what was happening there. Um, but what we did have back um, were two sort of, I guess they wouldn't even be really be B plots. They're kind of like two equally shared C plots. Um, one in which Dawn tries to uh, get Richard and her mother back together, which is, oh my God, there we're so much fun stuff to talk about there. Um, and one in which Christy um, and Watson are, are working on their relationship. And we get the um, scenario where while babysitting um, Karen and Andrew, uh, they have the incident with the steel wool where they accidentally um, scrape up the car. So we'll talk a little bit about both of those plots. But before we do, I just want to point out that I I really, really liked, I thought it was really elegantly done how those stories were pretty equally weighted. And they had some really nice parallels between Dawn and her, um, spoiler alert, future stepfather, um, you know, building a relationship and her helping them, um, her helping her them find their way back to each other. And Christy building that relationship with Watson and, and helping, um, we don't see her, but knowing that that, um, that developing relationship is going to be helping Edie's relationship with Watson as well. Um, I just thought that was a really, for, for plots that had pretty much nothing in common, was a really nice uh, thematic parallel between the two. Mm-hmm. I will disagree. I feel like the a little bit, obviously, I, I agree with the, the fact that there's that nice parallel. I feel like Dawn's plot is very much an afterthought. Like, she's barely in this episode. It's like two very small scenes. One where she calls Richard and tries to pretend to be her mom. And then the other where Richard has given Sharon a turtle, which was her nickname for him in high school as a peace offering. And I felt like they were just so small of scenes that it, it felt kind of like an afterthought to me. And that kind of disappointed me because there is so much more of a focus on it felt, I guess it felt more to me like there was a focus on the Christy and Watson and Karen and Andrew storyline as like the subplots. But I do agree that it was nice to see both of them connecting (laughs) with their future stepfathers 
in different ways. And you know what? You're that it's absolutely fair. There was definitely a lot more screen time for the Christie plotline. I think it is that scene, that first scene with Don and Richard on the phone was just so much of a standout in my brain. Like that was one of the scenes that was so memorable, even like after watching the first time through that stuck with me, um, that I think it, it occupied more space mm-hmm. in my like remembrance of the episode than it probably really warranted. Um, I mean, really, that's fair. He, it, it, he does tell her that no one drinks wine on the rocks. <laughs> the, the, the wine on the rocks was just so funny, but it like his, it was, it was all perfect. It was the way she said it in the first place, like this um, imitation of her mom that she's doing, how immediately he knows what's going on. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, okay. Like Mark Evan Jackson, once again, just grand slams out of the park every time. Um, I do have a random question. Second, all of that about Mark Evan Jackson. I mean, we, you and I both know we love him on anything all the time. Um, But when we go into that scene right before Don calls him, he's looking at his computer, and it sounded to me like he said, "Still no murderers." Is he playing a game? Yeah. Is oh. that work related? I no. like what oh what murderer like, is he talking about podcasts? He was, he was looking at Sea City to make sure that Marianne was safe. Remember, oh. he was so nervous about her going. He was like he was looking up Sea City's news and like, okay, good, still no murders. It came across to me like he was like disappointed. <laughs> Like still, like still, no murderers. Like, like it was more of a question as opposed to like a like comfort to himself. That oh, that makes so much more sense. Uh, yeah, I think it was very much like okay, still no murders. Like yeah. everything's okay. Yeah. Oh my god. Wow. Okay. That yeah. That that makes way more sense. If I had heard it the right way. I would definitely have gotten why he was saying that as opposed to being like disappointedly exasperated that there weren't any more murders. <laughs> wow. Oh my God, I love it. You thought Richard was secretly like a murderino or yes. like a serial killer that like. <laughs> or because we know that because in whatever book it was where he is talking about work and how he's talking about he's going to appeal the judgment against him for grand larceny which is a crime which means that he's a prosecutor which he can't appeal because that's double jeopardy like so i think that was in my head as like he's a criminal attorney and i i yeah i but even then you shouldn't be excited about murder (laughs) i don't know my brain's in a weird place (laughs) it was that is ah oh boy did i need that laugh Thank you so much. I was like, where is she going with this? And I was like, oh, I, like I realized about halfway. I was like, oh, oh, she very much misinterpreted I, I miss the beginning her of this scene. So, so much. Oh, my God. So no wonder you couldn't focus on the amazingness of the two of them. You're too busy worried about, about <laughs> what murders Richard he was looking potentially for. murdering. Huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Whew, boy. Oh, before we... Before we move off completely, I do have one other question, and this it, it fits in that it's a little random because my mind went to a weird place as well. He gave a very strange reaction when um, Don called him Turtle, like almost like he was horrified that she knew that, but like not in like a how like why is she talking about that way? He seemed and when she said he was reading his 
her yearbooks, he goes, don't, with such terror, what the hell does turtle mean? <laughs> like, is that some weird sex thing that she's going to read about? I, that's where my brain went. And now, now I feel like an idiot too. So. <laughs> I, I did also note that maybe not to the same degree. I, I don't know what I thought from that, but I think I was still so hung up on the murderers thing that it didn't <laughs> resonate with me, but he definitely had sort of elevated reaction to the fact that she was reading the yearbooks. And yes, I, I would like to know what else was in that message that, she got turtle from that could potentially be more incriminating. The level of terror in his eyes when he goes, don't, don't like, don't read the journals. The, oh, the, the very first thing that popped into my brain is, Oh God, what did he write? And so obviously I immediately assumed that turtle was code for some weird sex act. But then when he bought her the turtle at the end, that seemed a little, um, that, that, that maybe was not, um, couldn't have been because she probably wouldn't have been so excited to share that turtle with her daughter where that were where that code for some weird thing that they did. Um, before we move off that plot completely, I also just have to end by saying, I love you, Richard, but buying a pet for someone as a gift is such a dick move. Never. Okay. I don't care if it is a turtle. Not cool. Yeah. It's not, not a good look. Okay. Well, so we clearly had some confusion <laughs> over the Don and Richard storyline. Um, there's a little <laughs> less subtlety and confusion in the Christy and Watson storyline. Um, you know, he, he shows her her future room. She responds that it's big and that's it. And they're awkward and weird. And then <laughs> when she's babysitting for Karen and Andrew, when the aforementioned car steel wool incident happens so when that happens christy asks karen and andrew do you have any of those big sponges so we can wash this car which side note why is she washing the car in the first place i don't think that watson told her to do that but anyway karen's like oh yeah they're in the um in the garage don't go through the go don't go into the small room with the blue door that's where watson keeps his secrets and Christy, of course, once again, goes into the blue door into the small room and sees, you know, a bike and some sporting equipment. My girl did not hesitate. She went straight for that blue door. Like, not even like, maybe should I think about it? It was secrets. I'm in there. I'm in. Um, and so. she, of course, gets locked yeah. in and the steel wool incident happens. And, you know, then she avoids Watson because she doesn't want to get in trouble, tries to get the car fixed herself, but it has to happen on site because as she reminds the person on the, the other end of the phone, I can't drive. And then Watson calls in with a block number so that she'll actually answer. She answers, of course, Christy Thomas, president of the Babysitter's Club. And they have a very nice little heart-to-heart -heart about getting the car fixed. And it ends with Watson saying that he's not going to tell Edie about the car incident. And that infuriates me. I agree 100%. I thought that plot was so on point at, right up until that yep. point. I was like, I literally wrote down, I hope that he's lying to Christy to build some trust and then immediately tells Edie what happened. Um, but that's not any better now that I say that out loud. But I, but I just can't fathom like him keeping that a secret from her mother like it, especially because she shouldn't be horribly punished she didn't do anything too terribly wrong like it right. was 
largely misunderstanding. It wouldn't, it was not malicious. It wasn't like she, you know, actually did put the car um, in neutral and roll it out into the street in hopes <laughs> right. that someone would hit it, which was plan A for how to cover this up, um, which again. Not one of her I greatest ideas. <laughs> No, but I see way too much of myself in Christine sometimes. Like, often, my, like, <laughs> my panic plans um, go to, like, zero to a thousand. Um, like, okay, so if I just sell everything I own and move to France, then I won't have to worry about this meeting this deadline on Friday. Um, <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, I, like, that was total bullshit. Like, what, that is not a way to start um, building a life as a family Secrets and lies. Not, I read enough of Reddit relationship issues to know. No bueno. Exactly. Well, and I think the thing that's frustrating about that storyline, because obviously something very similar happens in the book version of this storyline. Um, but Christy is distracted because um, Louie gets injured and David Michael is freaking out and she has to deal with that happening at the same time. And Karen's like, oh no, we know what we're doing. We can wash the car. And then they own up to it. She owns up to it immediately when Watson comes home. And I was very mm-hmm. frustrated with those slight tweaks here in that, you know, she's being a bad babysitter for, I mean, it, yep. it just is what it is. She, you know, goes off to look for Watson's secrets and then she hides it from him. Like, I I like Christy, this storyline for Christy much better in the book because it's much more reasonable and she doesn't come across as terribly. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like you said, I think in one of the last few episodes, there have been several episodes of this show where Christy has looked real bad. And as much yeah. as we like to give Christy shit when we're talking about book Christy, show Christy, I feel like they have done her a disservice in the way that they've made tweaks to her character, and I don't love it. I mean, I, I, I go back and forth because I think it's it's okay that they've made these changes, and I think it's okay for kids to see you know, a, a pricklier, more bad decision-making version of Christy, but it seems like Christy is the only one that really got that, you know, sort of brushstroke when they were making changes to the characters and writing these stories. And maybe it's just because it's more obvious for Christy, but it feels like every time there's one of these updates and someone's making a worse decision or doing something differently in a worse way than in the books, it seems like almost every time it's Christy. And I don't know if that's because it's Christy, because I'm noticing it, and it actually is everyone else, if it just – her storylines lend themselves more well to these kinds of things being changed. I I don't know what the – I don't know what the cause and the effect is, but I, I know that it's coming across to me like TV show Christy is not as good as book Christy. That's fascinating. I now I hadn't really thought about it like that, um, but I'm, I definitely see where you're coming from. Um, I, I think, uh, like, I'm trying to think of what what could be behind that, like you said. And I, I, I think part of it is somewhat of the condensedness of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it sort of condenses some of um, Christie's worst bits I- into seeming like taking up a lot more time um, comparatively to as, as they do in the books. So there's like a sort of a weird proportion there. Mm-hmm. Um, and additionally... I think that part of it is um, a function of needing some source of conflict. 
um, because we talk a lot in the book that there's often not like an antagonist. Mm-hmm. Like there are situations that they have to react to, but there's very rarely a a bad guy or a, a source of, um, you know, a antagonism for, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that in the book we can sometimes have outside characters come in and, and play that role um, but in a, a TV show that is less satisfying, um, you want it, you know, to be more tied into the characters we already know. So I, I, this is pure speculation, but I think Christy might be sometimes an easy target mm-hmm. to be the one to cause some of that, um, cause some of that drama because she is one of the more prickly characters. Um, I also think that it has the potential to open her up to some really nice redemptive arcs, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what we saw with her um, her conversation with Dawn. And you, you brought that up earlier, but how nice it was seeing them together. Um, I, I don't think we would have had that nice of a moment if we hadn't had her being a jerk. It's That's, yeah, you know, that's true. a payoff to that. So I, I think, I don't know that I would necessarily agree that she's coming off worse overall. Um, I think she definitely, this is definitely a case where... Yes, show Christie is much more of a jerk than um, than book Christie, and I think that that's also again in service of having a more something that I really appreciated is is having a more clear through line and character arc about her development of her relationship with Watson. Um, that that we commented uh, repeatedly in the books that that doesn't really happen. Mm-hmm. We don't see them develop that relationship. So. Um, I think that that it was sort of needed to help build that arc out as well. Um, so again, I think that might be sometimes in service of of what the plot needs is are um, that isn't necessarily always fair to her. So that's that's interesting. I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for that going forward mm-hmm. because Lord knows, Lord knows, if anybody's uh, critical of Christy, it's me <laughs> because <laughs> because I'm recognizing some of the things I don't like about myself. Um, or at, at least some of my less flattering tendencies. So um, maybe that's why it didn't ring as um, strongly to me because they felt in character. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't, I sort of didn't um, bump up against them as, them as much. That makes sense. Well, let's throw it over to some stray observations, some um, miscellaneous thoughts that we had. I know that we have a big one that we shared because we both had a what the fuck moment Um are there no triplets? Yeah, I. It makes no sense. the The three boys that are Adam, Byron, and uh, Jordan are not the same height. They don't look the same, aside from all having red hair. But there's a part when they're digging a hole to China, or what they say they're doing on the beach. They like finish the sentence together, and so it's like it's sort of triplety, and they gang up on Nikki together, and so it's like. They kept the characterization, but, like, they couldn't find three, you know, like, redheaded triplets. So they were like, eh, I'll just make them different siblings. Like, it, it was so weird. It was so weird. They all looked, yeah, I, I think I got tripped up on the fact that they all look different ages. Mm-hmm. And no matter how many times I paused and, like, made note of who was who, I could not keep that into no. my brain. It just slid right out so i mean byron at least was memorable because he was the one who had the crush on stacy although again that was a that sort of got um shortchanged in the need to condense things down in 22 minutes like you don't really it seems to come kind of out of nowhere toward Mm -hmm. the end there like there's maybe one hint before that that he's interested in her um 
but so him I could I could identify and Mallory but beyond that those Pike kids just like slid in one eye and out the other that's not a sentence that makes any sense (laughs) but you know what I meant yeah it it was just it was weird yeah, I was just disappointed. That's such a, um iconic part of Babysitter's Club lore is the mm-hmm. triplets. So it was just, it was strange. But I, you know what? I'm coming to think of it. It's probably really hard to find triplets that want to be in the show for like five minutes. Right. Any other random things to discuss? I guess the only other thing that I thought was weird that I kind of missed from the book was um, Burger Garden. In the book, it's, like, such – it's this, like, weird place with, like, mushrooms for tables and a, like, tree that you pull the fruit off and it has, like, tickets for free food and, like, like the Monopoly game at McDonald's. And, like, this – it in the show, it's just, like, a burger place on the pier. Like, eh. Kind of yep. I mean, again, it, they have to condense it. I understand why they don't go into all that. But, like, I kind of miss that, like, weird beach town boardwalk pier yes. weirdness. And, like, that – we can, you know, finish up with fashion after you have any other random thoughts. But, like, it also – there's a tangent in the fashion here that, again, the, the sort of boardwalk pier beach town weirdness is not – represented in a way that I love. <laughs> well, I have no other random thoughts, so why don't you transition that right on in to the fashion watch? Okay. So, the the thing that one of the things that Marianne is super excited about doing when they get to the beach is, you know, she wants to have this like fun time on her night off with Stacy and one of the things she asks about is, can we get like those cool, I think I don't know if she says cool. They're definitely not cool in real life, but she's very excited about them. But she says they she wants to get airbrush t-shirts, which is like I said, it's a very pure boardwalk, you know, sort of seedy, touristy trap kind of thing. And so as a uh, peace offering at the end of the trip when they're packing up to go, Stacy reveals to Marianne that as an apology, um, you know, for sort of ruining their night off and, you know, not working at all on this trip, she's gotten them matching quote unquote airbrush t-shirts that are not airbrushed at all. Not even, they're not even like an iron on of an airbrush. They're like, it's like a, a it's three color rainbow with their names. And yeah, it's very, it's just screen printed. It's not, it doesn't look airbrushy at all and like it doesn't look like something you would get at a pier in a beach town and I was very disappointed that they didn't go all out because like I have one of those shirts so I I used to I'm mm-hmm. sure I do not have it I, almost everyone you know if you've gone to Myrtle Beach if you've gone to Jersey City if you you know if you've gone to the Jersey Shore if you've gone to Atlantic City if you've gone to any of those kinds of places where there's a bunch of those sort of tourist trappy kind of places where you can buy, you know, boogie boards and bathing suits and towels and iron-on shirts and airbrushing. And, like, it always just seems kind of, like, gross. Like, that's what I always pictured for Sea City. And, like, the shirts that these girls are wearing is are very, like, corporate-looking <laughs> and not yes. not seedy beach town kind of thing that would have the weird burger garden that I wanted. So, <laughs> Yeah. Fair. Basically, they have sanitized Sea City way too much for your liking. Exactly. By the way, Marianne refers to them as old-fashioned airbrush old fa- <laughs> Old-fashioned so, from the 80s. <laughs> yep, old-fashioned from the 80s. Um, we always got them, too, from amusement parks, like Kings Island. Uh, there, oh, there's always the yeah. booth for the airbrush shirts. Yeah, Geauga Lake had that's one of those, That's the other place too. that makes me think of it. 
Um, but that was a very, I was offended when I saw those at the end. I was like, hey, yeah, that's not what that looks like. I was very disappointed. Um, maybe Seaside Airbrush, um, t- has developed over the years and we're just, we just got <laughs> left true. behind. Well, I haven't been to one of those CD tourist trap type shops anytime recently. So maybe I'm just missing out on the current trends in airbrushing technology. <laughs> fair. Very fair. For sure. Um, I did have one. One little fashion thing, mm-hmm. oh, fashion maven. Um, Marianne's headscarf in the scene where she gets buried in the sand. I am obsessed. Yes, I want loved one. It. I've already started looking for that one, and I, I have a number of scarves like that, and I just I'd never tied it that way before. Mm-hmm. I, I turn it the other way, and I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna give that a shot. See if it's as cute on me as it is on her. Yeah, spoiler, yeah, that- it won't be. And I'm gonna try. Yeah, that whole outfit is just great. She's got you know brightly patterned scarf on her head she's got this like sort of oversized yellow pullover with what like a broad white stripe across the chest like jacket and shorts and like it's just a very like cute teenage beach outfit when it's not warm outside (laughs) like I felt badly that she was buried in the sand in that jacket because it was clearly not going to be the nice yellow and white be but yeah it was just a great a great look. I fully supported it. Um, also support Christy's super on-brand return to her all-gray sweatsuit yes. look while she's babysitting Karen and Andrew. Um, I, I mean, Christy... I mean, talk about practical. It, she's. It's just... It's so on-brand. Like, most utilitarian, it's exactly what I need to be wearing for this outfit. It doesn't need to look like anything more gray sweatsuit. And... You go, you do you, girl. Like, that is, that is you <laughs> to a T, Christy, and I love that you are true to your brand and who you are, and you don't take any shit from anyone. <laughs> you, I feel like you're trying to make it up to Christy earlier when you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, Christy, you suck, but I really love that you wear that outfit so well. <laughs> Okay, so any other final club business? Nope. I think it's just time to tell everybody where they can find us. Um, we are on Twitter and Instagram at GenerationBSC, or you can email us at GenerationBSC at gmail.com. Um, and you can also always find us on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, we've gotten some really, really lovely reviews, so thank you guys. Um, we do read those and really, really appreciate them. So thank you so much for those, and we love to hear from you. We do. And with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this emergency Netflix meeting of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.